This is Macro Monkeys, where macroeconomic analysis meets the markets through the eyes of retail investor monkeys. Content provided is solely for informational and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendations of any kind for any security, futures contract, transaction, or investment strategy. Trading securities can involve high risk and the loss of any funds invested. Please consult a licensed professional for any specific investment advice. And greetings from Austin, Texas. I am Mike O'Connor, a independent retail trader who's been trading with my partner from Denver, Colorado, AA, Aaron Montel. I think we're celebrating our 11th anniversary this year. Are we? Has we it been are. 11 years? Wow. Yep. And so you may be joining us from one of three different um, products, AA uh, hosts, and I'm a guest on his regular podcast called Macro Monkeys. You may know us from our uh, stint as Chaken Power users. We're still uh, Chaken Power users. We just no longer have an affiliate arrangement with Chaken, but we uh, since they've sold that to Stansbury Research, but we still swear by the application, use it all the time in our trading yeah. due diligence, and of course we have we get access to a complimentary subscription in exchange for our unbiased opinions, which are always very good. And finally, um, welcome premium subscribers to our premium stock cheat sheets at, uh, at substack.com. And uh, this gives you a little extra insight because we're going to be able to give you a sneak peek under the hood of the Chaken Analytics app, which adds a whole level of fundamental metrics that give traders an edge to go along with the cheat sheet subscription you have, which allows you to see relative strength rotation and some proprietary watch lists that are founded not necessarily on shaken data, but on a series of different fundamental reports. So a lot of different constituencies to serve here, AA, and not everybody's gonna have a, uh, a screen. So we're gonna have to be TV play-by-play -play and radio play-by-play -play at the same time to hopefully stay relevant to all of our, uh, all three people, each of which is using a different product of ours. <laughs> I, I, I think a task we can handle, at least I yep, hope so. It is. Okay, so um, let's start with the, I mean, we're macro monkeys, but let's start with the elephant in the room down the, uh, the street at the zoo. We have a market just sitting on support and a whole hell of a lot of macroeconomic risk out there. Not macro the least of which is a bald guy in the Eastern Europe or East of Europe with his finger on a nuclear button. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say macro risk and geopolitical risk, right? With some geopolitical developments over the weekend, we'll have to see how those play out, um, you know, later later this evening and tomorrow. And I'm surprised that we're even dealing with a VIX that's only in the low 30s. Yeah, I mean, it seems to, the VIX is interesting. It, it seems to keep coming up on that 35 number and, and being rejected, which is, again, what we, we've seen recently. It does. It seems as though at least it's making another run to kind of coil up like a spring between 30, uh, let's call it 29 and a half and maybe mm -hmm. 34, 34 and a half, something like that, where we're building some upward pressure. Now, that's happened a few other times before. And each time we then had a pretty significant rejection and a market rally that's lasted, you know, anywhere from two to eight weeks uh, depending upon which uh, stage of the bear market we were in. If you remember, uh, shortly after the uh, the war broke out in Ukraine, after we all panicked, there was a little bit of a run that lasted about a month. And then, of course, things got choppy again through May, 
we hit bottom, you know, right around June 15th. And we ran really all summer long until we got to Labor Day when we think the big money came back from vacation and just just slammed down the market. And so we've really gone nowhere, AA, for the last four months. Yeah, I mean, with 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 an elevated VIX going nowhere is great for a premium seller. But, um, you know, it seems to me that that a lot of this is being driven by Fed talking heads. You know, it, it's the, the Fed is driving the cycle in the VIX and driving the cycle in the market just and, and by design, I'm sure. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing my opinion, it's a little ridiculous that, that this is the world we live in now as we we wait on we wait to hear and hang on every word of these Fed people. It basically represents an, an economy that we as Americans throughout the Cold War rejected, a planned economy, correct? We basically yeah. have, what is it, 11 guys? How, how many active voters are, if you know? Uh, uh, I actually don't know. I think it might be, I'm trying to say eight, but I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Well, but it's, you know, it's about, you know, about a baker's dozen. Yeah, whether, whether it's one or eight or 11, yeah. they're all on elected officials at the switches with tremendous power yeah. that is, is it's, it's becoming a little ridiculous. Basically governing our economic cycles. And unfortunately, we need them because I think the markets are to the point where it's so distorted that the natural remedy of having markets come back into equilibrium where currency, good and services all balance themselves out on their own. That is not going to favor the United States or our economy. And uh, and so we're left with basically um, these Fed folks with their finger on a button. It's not the nuclear button, but it's the next best thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or worse Great thing. Depression or hyperinflation. What mm-hmm. do we want this week? Well, you know, we kind of crashed the market for the last month. Better put a little hyperinflation. That's honestly my opinion of why this market break turned into a failed breakdown. But you'll notice that what didn't happen, double A, and we've both been doing this a long time, is that when a the market, and we're talking about, uh, you know, kind of a classic key support level of around 3650, give or take on the uh, S&P, that um, we had a failed breakdown a week ago Friday. Well, we had a breakdown a week ago Friday, and then a huge reversal, but it lasted exactly two days. There was no rhyme or reason for it other than, I guess we were oversold, right. but we didn't have that continuation rally like we'd normally get right after a failed breakdown we essentially u-turned and by friday we were pretty close to getting back to where we were luckily some buyers did come in in the last few minutes of the market so it kept uh, for those of you who follow cheat sheets some of our junior time frame indicators that kind of uh differentiate markets that puke everything up right into the close we didn't have that we did have some buyers come in and i would say the technicals kind of favor the idea of meandering uh, more so than a, a a big swoop down, at least not until we get some market moving data, which we've got coming up uh, toward the end of next week. Yeah. You know, I, we're again, right at that key level. We ended the week right at that key level you described. And, and, and I agree with the assessment that we're probably going to meander around for several days waiting for CPI, which is coming. Um, what is it on Thursday of this week, we're going to get CPI for September, which I mean, that's going to have the potential for for a big move. So the uh, CPI is the Consumer Price Index, and it's one of the key uh, inflation gauges that uh, the Fed pays attention to, and particularly core CPI, right? The one that factors out the expenses that uh, the rest of us normal people 
uh, are subject to every month, but apparently doesn't count toward inflation. Right. And um, it was just real quick, uh, which you're referring to food and energy or those things. And recently, Jerome Powell was asked uh, why he prefers PCE or the Fed prefers PCE. And he, he, he came out, he flat out came out and said it's because their tools are ineffective um, against <laughs> food and energy. So we'll just, right. so we'll just ignore them. We need to regauge our activity to our our the report cards that drive our bonus. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. Crazy. You know, both of us uh, came from radio, and I know we have a lot of followers from the radio industry because that's where a lot of our relationships are. And uh, for those of you who are in that business, you know, there's a difference between regular radio listeners or TV viewers and the people, this tiny subset of the market, the tenths of a percentage point that are likely to participate in the Nielsen ratings. And our, those media industries super serve that minor uh, audience because that's how they're, they're basically their economics are measured. Now, of course, the Fed isn't getting, they don't have bonuses for being in government services, but they have legacies, correct? And so it's all about moving those key metrics and not necessarily about the health of yep. the, and wealth of the average American. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so consumer price index um, is actually expected to be a little hotter, which I kind kind of find interesting. Uh, I think that uh, we moved in reality up uh, one tenth of one percent. I'm talking about the non-core uh, consumer price index once you factor in food and energy. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're expecting a hotter number uh, um, coming up here in September, and that is honestly before gas prices started to run again, which we're at the beginning stages of. Yeah, uh, gas is coming out of nowhere again as far as prices. I saw California last week recorded a a, a record high price for, yep. for an average gallon of gas in California. I saw some like eight, nine dollars, something ridiculous and just kind of out of nowhere. And and yep. something to watch this week and remember um, is that the month we're losing in 2021, the month of September 2021, was one of the lower months. Yep. Um, so we're, we're, we're dropping up. What is it? Uh, I'm looking at right now. Uh, 0.3 is what we're replacing. So, you know, anything, anything above that is, is going to be a year over year increase, right? Yeah, that's right. Now see, so if the experts, um, forecast comes in line, I'm now talking about CPI year over year, our year over year number for last month, where we had CPI increase by one tenth of 1%, our inflation year over year number was 8.3%. If the experts are right and we only uh, go up 0.3%, that year over year is 8.1. So it'll actually show a slight decline in inflation. But quite honestly, this core CPI, which strips out uh, energy, um, is actually expected to go up more dramatically, 6.3 to 6.6 year over year. So uh, definitely mixed signals. We've got mm -hmm. the Fed just, I think it's what, 80% probability of a... Um, uh, 75 basis point hike in December, correct? I think that's what I saw. In in uh, November, you mean? Oh, is it November? Is that their next meeting? I, I believe it's just after the election. Yeah. Right. Yep. So mid-November we go up. That's right. And then there's uh, another meeting in early January. That's right. Yep. So um, this it, is it, the last meeting of the year, I believe, isn't it? it? And I think there's one in December also. Okay. Yeah. Late in December. Yeah. And, and last I saw for the next meeting, 75 basis points had about a 75% probability. Yep, there you based, go. Based on the CBOE. Yep. 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 So um, and so that's an incredibly fast rate. And allegedly that's happening along with, and I think Jerome Powell even tried to put a number to it. He's, you know, claimed that the rate at which they were delevering their balance sheet would be the equivalent of adding another hundred basis points to the uh 
uh, the rate increases. That's what I seem to remember him saying. Um, quantitative mm-hmm. tightening, as mm-hmm. it's known. Right. Yeah, but their but their balance sheet runoff. We were talking about this before before we started the podcast here. Uh, their balance sheet runoff has been largely a joke. It, it's barely moved. Yep. No question. So for those of you who are listening to the podcast rather than viewing, we'll try to explain where we're headed next. We're going to take a look at the uh, Shaken Analytics platform, and we're going to look at a watch list that we have, which uh, essentially um, shows us all the core um, macroeconomic ETFs from around the world. Now, one of the differences between Shaken Analytics and the cheat sheet system, for example, that I, I curate is that we get a proprietary fundamental measurement. Now, it now. Outside of the U.S., there is, there is no uh, fundamental component to this. So when I'm talking about emerging markets or uh, uh, China, for example, um, we'll get basically what's referred to as a power gauge number for um, all completely based on technicals. But for the U.S.-based uh, ETFs, um, we're going to be able to take a look at the fundamentals to go along with things because there's some interesting stuff happening, uh, AA. Like one of the things that perplexes me is um, why consumer, um, uh, not discretionary, but consumer staples mm-hmm. is falling out of bed and is utilities. I think that one's more easily explained. Uh, but the de- defensive stuff is either just catching up to the rest of the market or we're seeing some kind of bizarre rotation into growth. And I can't quite put my finger on what's causing it, but it's definitely happening. It is. I've noticed it also. And I'll just add real quick, um, y- y- you know, when we when we look at these, international and 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 macroeconomic ETFs price is a news story in itself right so so yeah. just the price of these things is is information and how they're trading is macro information yeah yep that's a good point so i think that obviously what's what's on top of the list is the most important thing the thing that drives the relative value of everything else is the strength of the world's reserve currency Uh, the dollar, which I'm expressing as UUP, the ETF, Mm -hmm. it basically tracks the dollar against a basket of G7 economy currencies. And um, lower left, upper right, as far as the trajectory of the dollar goes, recently a little bit of a pullback and money flow hasn't fully recovered yet. So, you know, there's a chance here the dollar ends up going sideways and gives, um, you know, other multinational, I'm sorry, uh, other central banks the opportunity to uh, raise rates if they want to, uh, to try to catch up with the U.S. The problem is uh, they're not all opting to raise rates. Japan, I still think, has negative rates. Uh, ECB, I have lost track of. I remember they they actually moved out of negative um, negative rates in July over the summer, but I'm, I've lost track of what they've done since then. Uh, but the euro has strengthened versus the dollar. It's gotten a little bit better. It's not stronger then but a little bit better. You wouldn't happen to know what the ECB has been up to. You know, I think that, you know, they've, they've implemented a few hikes and I, I, uh, I don't, I don't want to say for sure. I think that they're back in a negative territory, barely. Yeah. It makes um, sense. Somehow. One of the things we pay attention to on the analytics platform is something you can actually construct in your uh, charts at home by, by creating a uh, stochastic RSI. Um, That's essentially a 21 day, um, overbought, oversold oscillator. So it's basically a stochastic of the relative strength index. And what it does is it does a pretty good job of catching the major intermediate pivots in the market. And I would say the Chaikin oscillator after the Chaikin power gauge are two of the most valuable tools that the software offers us. 
just real quick, Mike, I want to go back to something you said about Japan not raising rates, and you're absolutely right. But but what they're doing and what may become a little more widespread, I'm not sure, but Japan has done it is is they've done currency intervention, right? So they've they've sold dollars to buy yen to support their own currency. That's so right. so yeah. while they're not raising rates, they are taking action to, to support the yen. And the Bank of England is doing the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So we do have a little bit of a divergence where we see a lower high in the momentum oscillator uh, recently against the dollar while the dollar put in a higher high. And of course, since that happened, the dollar's pulled back now and I think is in danger of actually fulfilling the potential that that oscillator said, which is a lower high, which means we're coiling up like a spring, not necessarily a reversal pattern, but possibly a little bit of a sideways uh, pattern there, but no money flow. That leads me to believe we're not going to break out above that 3050 mark, which is on the UUP. Uh, okay. dollar ETF. Now, some other economic bellwethers would include uh, TLT, which is essentially the 20-year treasury bond, and that's in free fall. Um, <laughs> some weird oscillator divergences there too, though. Yeah, the price action on, on bonds in general is a little a little strange. Somebody was buying something on, on Friday because uh, amidst, a, what was it, a 3% down day or 2.5% down day on the indices, on a relative basis, bonds held up pretty well on on a pretty severe down day. Ten years heading back, I think, to retest that that previous high set last week or maybe the week before that three point nine nine on the ten year. Yeah, let me go over here. Just okay. uh, bear with me. We're using the TNX to show the yield on the ten year Treasury note. And for those of you who are not uh, uh, able to watch on a screen, as of Sunday afternoon, interest rates stand at roughly three eight eight, three eight nine, so near that four percent peak that we got uh, about 10 trading days ago. So it, it, I, I think, and again, I think this is a question that's going to be answered later in the week when, when CPI hits is, are we going to set a, a lower high or are we going to break through that 399 and, and set a higher high? It would seem to me that in the same way that nobody's going to admit to the US tampering with the Nord Stream pipeline, I think the idea of stealth bond buying here at the Lowe's is probably a, a necessary evil because let's face it, the government can't afford the carrying costs much above 4% interest rates. Yeah, at this rate, um, I, I read this week, or actually I read this last week, at this rate, um, the debt with these interest levels will make it the single largest item, uh, line item in the U.S. budget yeah. beyond military expense. And all we got left is military and or uh, entitlements, mm -hmm. both of which would be a uh, third rail here. So when you just kind of think this through, the idea of whether it's seven or 11 guys, uh, whatever the voting constituency of the Fed is, it's very clear to me that they're going to manip have to manipulate the markets almost in perpetuity for us to get through it, with, especially with the number of retirees liquidating assets. It just doesn't, it just feels like we're in a box. The only way out of it would be some type of breakthrough growth. Somebody needs to snap their fingers and solve uh, climate change, uh, battery storage, um, uh, uh, new sources of petroleum that could be pulled out of the ground that doesn't uh, hurt the climate. Uh, we did have uh, uh, maybe that equivalent in pharma, and you'll see how well uh, rewarded um, you know, pharma at least starting to get uh, bouncing off a of bottom. It had a little bit of a spike on news about Eli Lilly's um, obesity drug and about uh, um, the uh, Alzheimer's drug uh, that uh, came out of uh, phase two trials and into phase three with encouraging data. And we're, while we're not seeing yet incredibly good price action on pharma yet, uh, we both know that the relative strength is kicking up. And that's always the first sign, right? We go down less 
in a, mm. then a falling market. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we start going up from there. So I've got my eyes on pharma, especially because we are likely uh, uh, doing a light volume retest of the bottom. You'll notice that the, uh, uh, the two up days that we had recently were huge volume double A and the down days have been nothing leading me to believe that a, a nice soft landing creates a double bottom opportunity yeah. for pharma, or you could just go right after, uh, after it with the apparent company, which is uh, trading right now at resistance um, with the possibility of breaking out here. Maybe earnings will be that catalyst. Yeah, we are getting into earnings season. So, so you have to be uh, conscious of that with, with whatever you're doing. Very quickly, we'll just review some of the other commodities. And again, um, the FXE, uh, the euro, looks very similar. It looks like maybe the damage has been mitigated, meaning maybe it's not going to go down as much anymore. Um, we are seeing, again, a, we saw a lower low in price, but a higher low in the oscillator. And uh, and now we're, we basically, after that divergence, hit, hit our head on a downtrending moving average and are looking to put in an actual higher low. And that might solve the euro crash. And then commodities are starting to pick up steam. We talked about this at the outset. We saw it on, for those of you who subscribe to uh, stockcheatsheets.substack.com, uh, notice that commodities and energy in particular were starting to out outperform. And we're definitely seeing that in uh, price. The DBC seems to be trying to put in a double bottom. Once again, another oscillator divergence double A, where recently the DBC put in a lower low but a, a lower high, I'm sorry, a higher low in price. Of course, that oscillator is not exactly fully intuitive because it's, it's more coiled up into a triangle that, and broke out of that. So, but it looks, it looks good. The momentum looks positive on DBC. Yeah. Uh, precious metals, on the other hand, um, you know, we've broken to a new momentum high. We've broken our downtrend and I guess we, put in a similar high on price, but um, the money flow is just not there. And I'm just not, I'm not feeling gold or silver as much as I thought I might. Uh, silver's a little better. Of course, it's got some industrial metal applications, but, uh, and we did have a, a new higher low in silver and a breakout above uh, a recent high. So a little bit better for silver than gold. Precious metal is the child you thought had potential and just didn't do anything. Yep. You know, it's very disappointing. Meanwhile, the big story is oil. And you had mentioned, um, you know, something funny going on in the uh, bond market on Friday. If you look at oil, and I'm going to actually, for those of you watching, I'm going to dial up the futures contract for oil so we can look at the volume. But there was a big move in oil on Friday, and it was accompanied by a much higher than average volume. And this was well after the uh, Saudi Arabia announced the uh, OPEC production cut. And I think there was some Lend-Lease uh, stuff. They were, the Department of Interior was supposed to um, um, release a report about what kind of um, uh, drilling space it was going to allow. And there was some concern that there would be a blanket freeze on all uh, drilling rights around the United States. Didn't matter uh, what part of uh, what coast you were on, including the Gulf of Mexico. That didn't happen. And I'm wondering if that's the news, but something's up in the energy market. We got another big pop on volume Mm -hmm. on uh, Friday that I can't completely explain. I I don't have any ideas uh, either. I'm 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 in an oil trade and I'm enjoying the move, but I I don't have I don't have any ideas what's going on there. It does look though just looking at the technicals here, you know, break through this 95 level uh, 100 could happen pretty quickly. Would you agree? Yep, off to the races. So I'm yep. I'm holding some energy myself and uh 
watching it like a hawk. I'm actually rolling puts on XLE, which of course is the way for those of you who are newer to trading and aren't involved in futures yet, before you consider a commodity-based ETS, I strongly recommend getting educated about companies that will benefit from underlying uh, commodity price increases or decreases um, as your catalyst rather than necessarily trading an ETF uh, that's tied to a commodity. We've talked enough about why. I won't yeah. get into it again. Yeah. Okay. Um, but again, AA, if you notice that XLE busted through diagonal resistance on an intermediate basis, and one of my favorite signals that is, uh, I think, setting up would be a valley peak valley reversal. And that's where we move up to a higher high after putting in our low. And then we pull back with uh, light volume and bounce. And so that uh, higher low creates that VPV reversal pattern, which usually ends up uh, being nicely rewarding if you have the patience for it. Did the, uh, I'm just looking here right here. Did the, did the volume on say XLE or XOP kind of correlate with the volume in crude? It, eh, not a no. bad day, not a bad day, but not a, not an outsized day. Correct. Either. It was yeah. all about uh, crude. Got and that's it. what okay. I'm trying to figure out is what, what, what catalyzed the move. It also happened, I think kind of late in the trading day. Let's take a look at the five minute bars. Cause I am curious about that. Yeah. See, it popped. It was just before the, like, what does somebody know? Oh, I guess. No, you know what? I'm sorry. It started right around eight o'clock. So I guess it was tied to the uh, jobs report is, uh, you know, I guess do we we must have surprised to the upside. The jobs report was uh, stronger than yep. uh, definitely the Fed would have liked to have seen. That's for sure. Yep. So more jobs mean more economic activity. That probably surprised the market. The price of oil might have been discounted based, especially in light of the production cuts. The mm -hmm. demand for oil, um, you know, nationwide might might increase our thirst by a certain percentage, and we don't have the resources to accommodate that thirst without. Um, you know, going out to foreign markets to buy it, believe it or not. Yeah. It's a little frustrating. Back to Chaikin we go. Um, just checking to see what the most bearish U.S. fundamental stocks are. And I'm going to transition to our sector and subsector. Um, maybe you can help me if you see the subsector ETFs or the sector ETFs. I wanted to go there first. I am not um, seeing it. Yeah, I'm not seeing it either, which would be weird because they've been there for years. Uh, there it is, sectors. Okay. okay. So let's um, let's talk about what's bearish first. Um, what's interesting is what's bearish might be what's doing best from a relative strength standpoint, and that's XLB. Which is basic materials, of course. Yep, XLB, natural resources, zero to 10 on the uh, power gauge. So there's nothing fundamentally strong about these. Price is actually trading near the lows, but the recent price action is apparently better than the market. Uh, we also have one of those oscillators again where we're I guess we put in a slightly better low. I don't know if that's really the case, though. Yeah. Um, XLB looks pretty dead in the water to me, and I'm not nearly as excited about it as I was looking at the relative strength charts. Yeah. Uh, XLRE, boy, the bottom has really fallen out. And I think you have some first-party evidence <laughs> that suggests that this is pretty sustainable. You, um, why don't you tell people what you do when you're not trading or working uh, working as a broadcast professional. Oh yeah, uh, you know, so I'm I'm involved in the mortgage industry and um, things are slow, you know, <laughs> to to say the least. Although I, I'm also um, involved in a in a sale just personally here in Denver, and that property went under contract in three days at full price. So there's still demand for 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 uh, properties at a certain price point. Despite the fact that mortgages are now over seven percent, which they haven't been since you know well before the GFC, so it, it's it's just an interesting market, and I think yeah. 
you know, Jerome Powell has said that housing needs a reset and uh, it's, it's in process, it seems. We also have an explosion in Americans' use of credit at a time where banks are starting to tighten lending standards, worried about defaults. So we do have kind of a perfect storm of assets getting more expensive, uh, money harder to borrow. It's more expensive to borrow. Uh, there's plenty of jobs out there. Let's face it, the open positions only went down, what, about 10%? Um, the last jobs report from 11 million down to only 10 million or something like that. Of course, some of that is bullshit, right? There was some smoke and mirror job openings that really aren't. But um, right. all in true. all, the real estate market looks terrible. XLRE it, it, is in a massive downtrend. It tried to throw back and retest an earlier broken support at around 39. It maybe made it back to what, 37 and a half? Yeah, maybe. Uh, it, it's Real estate is just, uh, yep. it, it's just an ugly place to be right now. Yeah, before rolling over, this is one of kind of double A's favorite short setups, though it's probably a little bit a day too late here where the oscillator is rolled over. Uh, price produced what we call a bear flag pattern. Yeah. And I'd still say if there's a slight throwback uh, a retest uh, tomorrow, or if the market just decides to open on hopium a little bit, mm -hmm. I could see um, trying to throw on a, uh, a a bear call spread on um, real estate. At even the third, I'd even do it at the 37. 37.39 bear call spread looks pretty attractive to me. If it gets back a little bit higher, huh? Yeah, I'd like to get it up a little higher. So maybe I could uh, put my, it'd be nice to be able to put my goalposts up as high as 40 if I could. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. So as far as bearish communications, which is really kind of a weird ETF, that's uh, Facebook and Google along with uh, Verizon and uh, Time Warner or whatever they're called now, Spectrum. Spectrum. Right. It's a, a, a strange mix of, of growth and yield, right? But zero bullish stocks. Yeah. So it is, um, it, the chart looks just like XLRE. And so that's our kind of our tier. We have basic materials. This is from a fundamental standpoint, but we've now just confirmed for those of you watching, I, I don't think there's some, any bullish technicals anywhere to be found in any of that stuff. So then we have a whole bunch of neutral stuff and only one bullish stock. It's actually very bullish. That's energy. And energy is basically a sideways trade um, that would still need to get up to 90 before it would break out. Um, money flow is still not that great. And uh, relative strength just got started. The oscillator is nearly over uh, bought. And the fundamental score is actually very good at 11 uh, bullish mm -hmm. or very bullish stocks and zero uh, bearish or very bearish. So, uh, but not yet necessarily tradable. It, it, it actually appears to have some momentum behind it, yeah. but it also has some speed bumps ahead sure. of it. You know, now you and I got in down here where it made some sense, right? Yeah. We were playing for a, I mean, this has been nicely rewarding. I think I told you I rolled my put up and you can see why. And you yeah. thought you were in a diagonal that was totally blown up, but probably yeah. you probably, probably didn't even look at that this day. And you probably thought you were done and went to worthless and you were shocked when you opened your trading account up after <laughs> taking a few days off. Yeah. The last, the last week, my, uh, my worthless trade came back and uh, is in the money now. So it was nice to see. Let's quickly circle back to the three major indexes. I want to start with DIA because that one of all of them has the most to lose based on dollar strength. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as a result, you know, we had a slight, um, I guess, weakening of a bad trend, strengthening of a bad trend is probably a better way of saying it. Um, but we're right back to where we started from and multinationals appear to have breached, right? We've got two gaps that sort of line up with a um, mid-June low. And so to me, I think uh, we have a couple of island reversals, but to me, this is 
got the potential to act as new resistance. How about you? Yeah, nothing looks bullish yeah. here to me. Nothing looks bullish. Yeah, seven bearish uh, to very bearish stocks, zero bullish, 23 neutral. Money flow is negative. The long-term uh, trend line of the DIA is pointing lower. Um, there is some relative strength versus the SPY, um, but big deal. It just means you're going down a little less than the yeah. SPY. A neutral rating on the power gauge, um, bearish only for me on that one. And then we have small caps, which actually, they're actually the, the best looking U.S. index. They are that's, not, which is an interesting tell to me. That says something, exactly. It really right? does. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, we have, a, I think, a very well-tested bottom. And it will take, I think, some work to breach this. Now, God forbid, you know, between Putin and Biden, they have enough. Uh, they, don't have, they don't even have to press that button. All they do is talk about it. And this will break the... Uh, yeah, the 160 level on IWM. But God forbid that doesn't happen. Geopolitical concerns, notwithstanding, it just feels to me like between money flow, uh, certainly the fundamentals aren't there, but they're not horrible, horrible. 263 to 497. I would have expected, based on how long we're into a bear market, I would have expected something like a 50 or 100 to, you know, uh, to 450 or 500 kind of ratio. So not as bad, certainly and, nothing to write home about. And for those listening, that ratio is, is stocks rated bullish or very bullish to bearish or very bearish by the Chaikin analytics uh, yep. metrics. Yeah. And we're slightly better than a uh, 0.5, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, it, it, I've been watching IWM this weekend. It, it, it has held up better and, and yep. it, it's an encouraging sign. 100%. Some kind of neutral trade that gives you a little bit of downside protection uh, for those of you who don't, um, uh, like um, advanced option strategies, this is where you can consider a uh, covered call where you actually put your short strike in the money at around, I just have to see what the premium pays. But mm -hmm. one idea I have left from the last bear market I traded where I was a little uncomfortable going short is if you believe that that support line at around 163 can hold, you know, uh, the market is trading at um, one, what is it? One, 68 now, something like that. Yeah, 168.61. Yeah. If you could sell a call that would pay you, you know, three or four percent and cover the difference between the current price and the strike price. So you need about eleven dollars in premium per share to make this work. That is a trade that once a once a bottom has been tested in the market, even if we're likely to leg down to a new low, the chances of support holding between now and your expiration are are really pretty high when it comes to a well-tested bottom. And while it's certainly a stock you would have to watch closely and bail on the minute the 160 level would be breached, I know a lot of traders um, that did very well in the bear market of 2008, selling in the money covered calls that had enough extra premium left over to pay them what a normal covered call would in you know 12 VIX days. So just one idea to think about. You know, another idea is something I've been... Um dabbling with a little bit the last few weeks given the strength in the in the iwm is is pairs trading futures so iwm in in my case what i what i was doing not a recommendation is um long russell short mm -hmm. nasdaq um and and you know and pair those off in in, in a way to manage the deltas how you, how you see appropriate but that's that's one way i approached it also and for those not into that aren't approved for futures trading, you can do it um, with shares of stock. And it's it wouldn't be horrible to do. You can figure out what the ratio is between uh, two different indexes, one of which you favor more than the other. In this case, 
what AA, I think, would be suggesting is pairs trading the uh, IWM versus the Qs, for example, where I think yeah. the Qs are a lot weaker. And you could balance the shares off, and it's the difference in performance where the IWM holds and the Qs don't. You're short the Qs and long the IWM, and you uh, make a little money on that spread, but you're not putting a whole bunch of money at, at risk. It's just the difference between the two ETFs that become the problem if you can balance everything out. Exactly. You, yeah. What do you think of SPY here? We've got, first of all, fundamental rating, about what I'd expect for a horrific bear market lasting as long, and certainly much worse than the Russell, 40 to 118 in terms of bullish or very bullish stocks compared to bearish. A neutral overall rating. I think that technical is maybe driving that neutral rating. A fairly well-tested bottom, but something makes me feel less good about SPY than um, IWM. I guess money flow would be one reason, relative strength another. You know, I'm, I'm going to take a quick left turn on you, Mike, and I'm sorry, but the thing about SPY is I'm looking at Apple and I'm looking at Google and I'm looking at these uh -huh. major components and Good they're point. what they're what make me feel less um, uh, rosy about SPY. Yep. Good point. And uh, of course, you know, Apple is uh, definitely in a, a downtrend. Actually, it looks like uh, Friday was an entry signal. If you um, if you like, I mean, there's a couple of things that concern me. Obviously, earnings is one. We also have a divergence in the Oslo, kind of a weird divergence, right? It's a double is, divergence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're Quite coiling well. up like a spring. It's more like a triangle. So I'm, I don't think this is quite a reversal um, divergence, but we do have a, a slightly higher low while Apple makes a lower low in price. Um, but for those bearish, uh, there's, an, there's a setup here. Um, you could trade an out-of-the-money um, call spread, sell the 150, uh, 155, provided you can make enough money. And uh, you get paid as long as price uh, of the of that call spread um, or the price of the market stays lower than the uh, short strike for um, the time we have left till November 18th. And uh, that would be probably how I would trade this, knowing that I think there's a good chance of Apple um, testing 130 before it's done going down, maybe 135. Yeah, let me ask you this. It, 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 of course, there's no crystal ball. What happens first, 135 or 150? Yeah, and we we are uh, our momentum oscillator is rolling up off of a higher low. Uh, price is not going not going that way, um, so I would tend to take the bear flag entry myself, mm -hmm. just because a trend it doesn't end until it does, and I would take the third leg uh, lower. I, I, first of all, I think this is such a hypothetical. Apple's ha has earnings between yeah. now and expiration. I don't think either one of us would touch it. No, you're right. You're right. You know, but maybe a risk to find trade, but. Uh, you got a 50-50 on it, not a 70-30 the way you normally would with a spread. But, but these are the things I'm looking at when I look at the yeah. SPY. You know, Google's yeah. another one. Amazon's another one. And, yep. and, and these things are making me have a little less conviction yep. um, about a sustained bottom quite yet. So um, XLU is probably the best example of a security where I need to look under the hood and understand the fundamentals of the underlying stocks to figure out why we're crashing. Our theory is that XLU pays a yield that unfortunately no longer is attractive Relative to the yield on bonds, the yield on bonds is what, about three and a half percent right now on the uh, 10 year? 10 year, yeah. I mean, it's nearly four again. Yep. So here's the problem the dividend yield on XLU, even after this collapse, is only 3.1%. Yeah. So you do the math. Do you want to trade on um, the, uh, the dividend yield that's offering 3.12% with risk or the virtually exactly. risk free? Right. To the extent that any government bond is risk-free these days, um, where you're getting closer to 4% yield, hence the collapse. Yeah. 
it, the, the, the risk-free quote-unquote risk-free is the key to that i think yep yeah yep um so here we go there's yeah. um definitely a break in overall trend really a collapse and i think as long as interest rates stay higher xlu is a trade i would avoid bullish bullishly in perpetuity i'd be careful uh about I would avoid that one also. And then personally, I, I, I shy away from trading anything in XLU bearishly because of the yeah. yield. Yep. So um, the other thing that I would um, that I would um, want to, I'm interested in looking at it because we definitely had a major support break. And I'm just checking the five-year chart, see if there's anything that's going to save us here. And uh, I would say we have a massive head and shoulders breach here yeah. on, uh, on XLP. And I'm starting to think a... Uh, a long put diagonal might be an appropriate trade now. I, I can't see. It's a little small on my screen. Do you, did we get the throwback to the neckline yet? Not yet. Here, I'll okay. put it up on here. I'm just saying that that's why I'm thinking the setup is going to be interesting here. Yeah. Waiting for that opportunity after the retest, uh, although we may have gotten it. So let me, um, let me uh, take us out to the one year. Yeah, I think we did get it. Oh, I guess we did. Yep. And, so there's and the, so this yeah. is the head and shoulders. It's a little clear, more clearly defined on the weekly uh, bars, which I can't replicate here without delay not being able to see the pattern. So we broke and then we threw back and retested and we could, I'll do this maybe in the weekly bars as a compromise. Could, could you maybe call out that neckline to, to the audio listeners? I, yes. I can't quite um, see it. Yep. So thank you. The uh, head and shoulders that I've identified is not a, it's not a perfectly formed one. And you who are studying for your certified market technicians oh, uh, license would probably have a problem with the fact that this touch didn't happen, right? Because technical patterns need to happen. But I would argue that maybe this is the head and shoulders. Well, it's not yet. Not yet. But I'm, I'm looking at this as a potential reversal pattern where you have shoulder, head, shoulder, breach, retest back to the neckline and now I'll get into it. So we're talking about a 6872 neckline and an $80. Let's make this really simple. Let's call it a $70 neckline and an $80, um, maybe a $69 neckline and an $80 head. So, so an $11 difference between the top of the head and the shoulder or, and the neckline. And I'll say whatever, whatever the pattern is, it's clearly, I mean, there's clearly a well-defined neckline and a round and a rounding top pattern. Yeah, if you don't like yeah. it as a right, if you don't like it as a head and shoulders, take it as a descending triangle, then it's a perfectly formed pattern. Mm. Yep. Uh, so we would measure eleven dollars from sixty nine and get a price target that's going to be, um, uh, uh, roughly speaking, uh, fifty eight dollars, right? Yep. So let's see where that puts us here. And what we're doing is we're measuring the distance between that top of the head at uh, eighty ish and sixty nine, the lower, and we're adding eleven dollars to that and uh, trying to. <laughs> trying to use a long enough time frame to get that number. And it would put us down, what did I say, 58, 59? 58 is what you said, yeah. Okay. So look at that, right to this congestion area here. Yeah, it's amazing how that works. Yeah, it's amazing how that works. And the other thing you can do is use, and I'm sorry, folks at home, you're just going to have to live through the irrelevance. The other thing you can do is a Fibonacci extension. <clears throat> so I'll be conservative, take it to uh, the top of the, well, actually, on a daily candle, it's going to be here. Let's use that. Um, not a, not perfectly measured, but the um, the price target that we'd look to is pretty pretty well lines up with this first congestion area, the 150, and then we have the 161, which kind of perfectly lines up with this. So this this would probably be our price target here. 
So basically, the price target you're describing takes us back to where we were in sometime in 2020, just just after the onset of the pandemic. Yep. Yep. Let's go through very quickly to wrap this up. We talked a little bit about um, uh, the economic reports that are to come, and I do have to cover some cheat sheets. So premium subscribers, uh, don't hang up. Uh, We've got a little bit more work to do, but I just, for those of you who don't subscribe to cheat sheets, uh, or uh, macro monkeys, we're probably we probably there will be a bit of a macro discussion involved in cheat sheets, but it may be visually um, a little. There won't be a whole lot of uh, visual descriptive language to go along with it. Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. 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 So thank you, macro monkeys uh, listeners. Thank you, shaken power users. Before you go, um, let's let's just go through the data that we've got ahead of us. Um, yeah, Monday is Columbus Day, but we do have some uh, we have some Fed talking heads. Yeah, and the bond market's closed on Monday, I, I have just learned. Yep, stocks are trading, but there's no key economic reports due on okay. Monday. And then Tuesday, we get some um, a New York Fed uh, inflation extrapolation that te- tends to not be market moving um, and more, more Fed head speak. And then Wednesday, we get the forward-looking index. It's sort of like, uh, how would you describe PPI, AA? Maybe a uh, forward-looking version of the CPI? Call it input and- cost, maybe. Input costs is a great way of saying it. Yep. Cool. Um, so you have that and labor costs, and that defines the markets. So then Thursday, we turn our attention to consumers, and that's going to be a more of a lagging indicator. We're looking back as opposed to, um, you know, basically what prices producers are willing to pay in anticipation of demand. They have to build inventory and make a guess about, well, of course, they're all going to want to try to get away with the lowest prices possible, but the market ultimately decides. And consumers, um, they have uh, they have the same kind of pricing power, but it takes longer to correct. And so we'll be looking at those inflation numbers, which we've gone into, uh, core and regular. And then we also get jobless claims. Uh, consensus estimate is that we'll be down maybe 4,000 jobless claims. So actually, forecasters are expecting an even better uh, jobless claim number. So unemployment, at least so far, hasn't started to rear its uh, ugly head, but we'd, we'd probably start to see it in this number before anywhere else, right? Yeah, and the other number to watch is is, is jolts, right? Which is um, openings, which yep. is Fed, the Fed I know, is, or at least I believe the Fed is watching that pretty closely. And I think Friday has the potential to be market moving. Retail sales um, tip, typically moves the XLY and the XRT ETFs, um, but it's very rarely market moving. But I think this could be different in that, if retail sales slow, surprisingly, the market will, I think, take that as good news that um, the Fed's uh, rate hikes are starting to have some impact in the real economy. And I think the market will celebrate that once again under this idea that this will make the Fed pivot a little bit shorter term horizon. I'm not saying that's whatever actually happened in reality. I just think that's the way market participants might take a, weak reta- a weaker than expected retail sales number. Bad news has become good news. That's what I think. I mean, yeah. you think I'm off base? No, I don't. And then the other one, which is really harder to predict because uh, the uh, consumer sentiment uh, survey actually happens in two or three different parts. But the generally speaking, the first of the estimates for the month is the one that's more market moving. And that's what we're going to get at 10 o'clock Eastern time on uh, uh, Friday when we get the uh, University of Michigan consumer sentiment price index. And double A, I'm not sure about that one. I think if we got a shocking number where consumer uh, sentiment is just dropping through the floor, I just don't know if that's a good news is bad news scenario or vice versa. I guess bad news is good news. 
Yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't either because, you know, what consumers say and what they feel is different than what they're doing and what they're doing is ultimately more important. Um, but uh, also, it's worth noting with the UMish survey that, that it's basically um, a discussion about gasoline prices. That, right. that, is, that is largely what the UMish survey yeah. ref, uh, rep reflects. But when there is a huge, and I would say this one does get market moving, when there's a huge unexpected either drop or um, explosion in that number. Now, usually they, they need a, another month to take it seriously, but it does get noticed. And I would say that if we get that explosively worse number, market participants might not go, woohoo, the Fed's going to ease soon. That might not happen at all because they could speak to a deeper more sustained and more broad-based um, recession, and mm -hmm. so I, I just wonder. I don't think we're I don't think we're potty trained on that one num number enough to be able to forecast market reaction yet. In yeah. my opinion, at yeah. least for this cycle, I agree. I agree. I think inventories is another interesting one because listen, if inventories show a bigger build than is expected going into the holiday season, that might be a bad news is good news situation. You know, the idea is that producers are already stuck with too much Q three junk on their, you know, on their shelves that they have to dump. Mm -hmm. That means there'll be a lot of holiday discounts. There'll be toilet training. Sorry to use the bathroom metaphor again. Consumers on lower prices earlier in the uh, holiday shopping season. That doesn't bode well for any of the um, holiday shopping numbers, but that might actually be a good thing as, as far as the market is concerned vis-a-vis -vis the Fed. I agree with that. I agree with that. Also, have you noticed, and maybe I don't, I don't, I don't mean to, to jump around too much. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that the, the um, shipping rates recently have just, they've imploded basically. Yes. The, the cost of shipping goods overseas is, is a fraction of what it was just a few months ago. I watched a video from one of the, uh, you know, there's a couple of YouTubers. They all have to um, use really gloom and doom headlines to get clicks. It's probably why you and I never got any clicks all of those years of doing check-in reports, had, we, had I written more sensational headlines, we'd probably be uh, retired in Bermuda doing our check-in analytics updates. Opportunity missed. Yeah, and, and here we are, radio people who are used to doing tricks like that to get audience. We didn't do it for ourselves. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so a YouTuber definitely does a lot of that. Uh, he's um, uh, the Bond, have, you, have you ever watched the Bond King? Uh, oh, YouTube yeah. videos? Yeah, I have. I oh, have. markets are crashing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like if Ted if Ted Knight covered stocks uh, or Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore show, right. not to date me. Um, but anyway, um, so he covered the number of ships that are in the queue from China in the mm -hmm. Pacific shipping uh, lanes right now, kind of waiting to unload. And uh, he claims that, um, and he's very much a numbers guy, so he tracks the numbers. Um, and, and if your portfolio needs protection, I'll put the link up on the screen here. You know the guy I'm talking about. I do. He's upselling the plunge protection. Uh, yeah, yeah. He basically, that's what they're selling when they give you all this data. And so, of course, they're cherry picking the worst news possible to get you in a panic that your retirement savings is going to get wiped out. But if I could get to my point, uh, and I'm the only one blocking myself from my own point, nine uh, from 43 ships to nine ships in line from China. Yeah, yeah. Right now. Uh, so again, just to keep the theme, and I, I won't go any further than a week from Monday, the Empire State Manufacturing Index, that's actually a big one too, because that speaks to um, uh, factory orders, meaning what widgets are you going to produce? This is actually not just buying inventory, it's actually buying production of inventory. So it's the probably the leadingest indicator that we've got. Right. And that's that's a week from, from Monday. Yep. So that's going right. to be the 2023 stuff. Right. Yep. The widgets that go on sale in 2023, yep. the factory orders. So I would say the next week, 
whole bunch of really big data. Market goes up if it's a lot of doom and gloom data. Market goes down if it's showing a more robust economy than any market participant wants. Agree. And I think Thursday is, is a key day with that, with that CPI. Right. Way, that was a huge shitload of stuff to cover. I think we, um, I think we can give everyone and ourselves a break and I'll see you next week. Yeah, we will, uh, we'll reconvene post CPI and we'll have uh, a lot to talk about. I'm sure. For those interested in a Chaken Analytics subscription, visit ChakenAnalytics.com. If you'd like to listen to the uh, Macro Monkeys podcast, Double A, the best place to do it is wherever you pick up your podcast. Wherever you pick them up, and if you uh, if you like it, subscribe to it and uh, and give it a, a review if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, give us a, a good rating. Hopefully, yeah. we, we worked hard up until we fucked up the last ten minutes of the uh, <laughs> thing. And uh, I curate cheat sheets, and um, I can be uh, found at uh, StockCheatSheets.substack.com. Until next week, Mike. We'll see you then. Thanks, Double A. Thank you.